The following podcast is brought to you by Pathways Church. For more information, visit www.pathwayschurch.us. Thanks for joining us for this message from our weekend service. Every week we're hearing stories about how God is moving in people's lives. So if you have a story to share, email us at info at pathwayschurch.us. We'd love to hear from you about how God is working in your life. Greetings from Chicagoland, and uh, no booze, please, just because it's Bears, Bears country. I am a lifelong Packer fan, just so you know. <laughs> and Brewer fan, and Bucks fan, all that. I grew up in Lacrosse, so I'm I'm from Wisconsin, and pastored for almost 20 years, 19 years, just south of Madison, Oregon, Wisconsin, and. And then it was at that time, uh, we, we saw the church grow, and it was in a, but a small town, and I felt like we saturated the community. I really wanted to do a turnaround situation uh, and uh, become a part of a, a struggling ministry and uh, help them. And so I actually took a, a, a church that was near death, and it's just been a, a blast. Uh, we've now expanded. Uh, we have five campuses, and you're just seeing God do great things. It's, it's the Bridge Church in the Chicago area. My name is Scott, by the way. I'm the lead pastor there. I think uh, a lot of you know Jordan, Pastor Jordan Machunga. Uh, he's spoken here a couple of times. And his brother Bryson, in fact, is right over here. Um, but Jordan is one of our campus pastors, actually is our lead campus pastors. He oversees all of our campus pastors and uh, we, we love him. Uh, he's, he's a great guy, and I, I know that he loves his church as well. But I'm, I'm really thrilled to be here. This is a great series that, that you're doing here. Not a fan. It was a book I read six or seven years ago, I think, when the book first came out, shortly before COVID. And I know it was church-changing for a lot of churches when uh, many of them did studies or a lot of small groups. A bunch of our small groups, in fact, in our church uh, did a small group study on this. It's a great book. If you haven't read it, uh, I would encourage you to do so to coincide with this not a fan that Jesus wants followers, not fans. And there's a lot of people that are fans of Jesus, but really aren't focused on following him. This passage that we're going to look at today fits right in with us. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. So if you got a Bible, and pull those Bibles out and take a look at it. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can probably find the passage on your phone. You can even just Google it, and it'll show up that way. But a lot of Bibles on phones, too. So let's, uh, and, and I'm going to project most of these scriptures, but it's too good for you to be able to see it in black and white. And then you can know I'm not just making this stuff up. It's actually in the scripture. Um, but this is a great passage. And let, let's just start off with prayer. Father, this is your word. We believe it is true and we receive what it says. In the name of Jesus, open our hearts and engage our minds. Amen. So Matthew 6, 31 to 33, it's in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' greatest sermon, the greatest sermon that was ever preached. In fact, the last time, we're, we're, as a church right now, we are engaging on the Sermon on the Mount ourselves. We're using the Beatitudes as an outline, showing how the rest of the sermon fits into those Beatitudes, and it's been a lot of fun. We haven't gotten to this passage yet, but the last time I preached this passage, I was there where the passage was preached, and I preached it from there. So this is actually on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Every two years, we take a, a group to Israel. And, so we, and, and what we'll do is we'll preach a couple of sermons right there and broadcast it back to our churches. Now, we do all live teaching at our, at our even though we've got five campuses, we rotate around and have live teaching team that does all the preaching. But I, I was actually, but once in a while, when we, we're from Israel, we'll actually preach the message that happened right there, and, and people love that. But the, to see the landscape and to see how the sloping 
hill that goes down to the Sea of Galilee, and you can imagine how it was just a perfect amphitheater for Jesus to speak from. That, and, and I imagine the dotted crowd that was there, thousands of people. At one point, we fed 5,000. Another point, he fed 4,000. This probably wasn't a crowd that was much less than that if it was less than that. And they came from all of the villages, but there were also some larger Roman cities that were nearby that they would have come from. We know Gentiles came to hear Jesus speak as well. A lot of Jews, though, and largely Jewish. But people had to give up a lot to come just to hear him talk. I mean, they would have had to have given up work. They would have taken their food along. This was a big deal for them to come and hear Jesus speak, but it was important to them. So right in the heart of this great sermon, we've got pivotal words that can change your life. And there's a lot of life-changing stuff in this sermon. We know that at the time that this not only changed Jewish culture as it moved towards receiving Jesus as the Messiah, and, and actually now sociologists believe that the majority of Jews in Israel at the time did accept Jesus eventually as Messiah. And uh, at the time of the Roman destruction, most Jews did believe in Jesus as the Messiah. We, we, most sociologists believe that now. But it not only changed the trajectory of where they were going, but it also changed the world because eventually this bled into the whole Roman uh, world and led all the way. There are things that we believe today that we hold dear, that are values that we hold on to today that go all the way back to this Sermon on the Mount, so it's a big deal. But at the heart of this is this passage I want us to look at, and we're going to be focusing on just the one verse, Matthew 6.33. So we're going to see it in context in a little bit, but I want us to just start right there. Matthew 6, we read, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, I don't know if you typically do sermon notes. Usually I have quite a few points in my sermons, but right now I don't. I, we're just going through that verse, and you can take all the notes on that blank page that you want, because we're going to go through this word for word because it is so important for us to grasp the meaning. And starts with, Seek. He says, seek. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek. So the Greek word here that we have underneath our English translations is zeteo. But Jesus was probably speaking in Aramaic, which was a first century dialect of Hebrew. And that word was darash. And it essentially means the same thing that the Greek word zeteo means. It means to look intently for something, to really go after it, doing your best to find something. It's the same word that we find when Jesus told the story of the woman who had that lost coin and she took the whole house apart. <laughs> right now I'm in the process of looking for something and I, we've taken the whole house apart looking for this and haven't found it yet. So I know what she was doing and that's the same word, zeteo. Here Jesus uses that word to look intently for the kingdom of God. Seek after the kingdom of God. Now we see it used in the Old Testament. So it was a theme. It wasn't brand new for these hearers. In the Old Testament we have Amos 5, 6, it says, um, seek the Lord and live. Now, he's not talking about physical life here. What you'll find is whenever the word seek was used in the Old Testament in a spiritual sense, it was always in regards to salvation. It's talking about seeking this Lord for eternal life. Or we have Isaiah 55, 6, and Isaiah 55, 6. says, seek the Lord while he may be found, because there will come a time when it's too late. And you won't be able to seek after him anymore. Or Jeremiah 29, 13. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's the sense that Jesus is giving here. 
that this matters more than anything else in the world. I want to go after this. This is what really matters. So seek. Then he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And it's the Greek word here is proton, and uh, it just means first, just like our English word first. And, and that's what the proton, what proton means. So it's well translated, but it, it has to do with priority. This is the most important. You gotta, you gotta seek after it, knowing that this matters more than anything. This ought to be your number one priority, not just an addition that you add to your life. That's part of your life along with all the other important things that you've got to do. No, this praise takes precedence over everything else. And then he says, seek first the kingdom of God. This is where I think the misunderstanding of this verse comes in. Because while this may be one of the most well-known verses among church people, and if you're not a church person then, and this is brand new to you, that's great because you get to start off on the right foot then. But I find that this verse is misunderstood and misapplied so often. Because I think most Christians view this verse as, well, this is talking to us as Christians now to continue seeking, on, seeking after building the kingdom of God. But that's not the use here. To understand what the hearers would have understood, they knew that when John the Baptist came on the scene, when he first came on the scene, Matthew 3, that we read that... Uh, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, kingdom of heaven we have here instead of kingdom of God. Matthew is the only one that uses kingdom of heaven. The other gospel writers, they, they, use, the, they use the phrase kingdom of God. And in Matthew, it's used interchangeably with kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, it's used interchangeably. In fact, even in places where Jesus talks about, uses the phrase kingdom of heaven in the same sentence, he will say kingdom of God just to mix it up. So he uses it interchangeably. He's speaking here of the kingdom of God, whether you want to call it the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. John the Baptist came on the scene. And he says, you got to repent. Repent, metanoia, means to change your mind, change your thinking. In our thinking, we've been interrupted in our relationship with God. Our thinking is going my way, doing what I want to do, seeking after my own life and improving my own life. And, and that's, that's our way of thinking. And the scriptures say that going our own way away from God, that's defined as sin. That's what sin is. All sin is is doing what I want to do instead of what God wants me to do. John the Baptist says, you need to change your way of thinking, repent, because God's kingdom is near, is at hand. Then what's interesting is when Jesus comes on the scene in the next chapter, we have the same thing. Then Jesus also comes forward and he says, repent because the kingdom of heaven is near or is at hand. Same message. Change your way of thinking because the kingdom of God is right here. Then the Sermon on the Mount is actually is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So what we have in Matthew 6, it's in the middle of the whole sermon. At the very beginning, the opening words of the Sermon on the Mount is a passage I spoke on just to, we spent a whole message on just this little phrase, but a passage in Matthew 5, 3, where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit meaning recognizing your spiritual poverty. Poverty. It would be synonymous with repentance. Recognizing, hey, I am, I am lost. I am in trouble spiritually. I need help with this. I can't do it myself. And he says, those who are poor in spirit who come to the end of themselves for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
So this is the context of this. When we're talking about the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, the concept of seeking after it was always in the context of salvation. In fact, the apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 1.13 that when we are saved, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness that's going our own way, doing our own thing in the evil one's kingdom. In that domain, we're translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's son, entering into God's kingdom. You see, when Jesus came on the scene, his offer of salvation was, hey, I have a kingdom that is not of this world. If you'll receive me as your king, as being in charge, you can enter into my kingdom that will last forever. This is a salvation message. And we also see it in the next verse, or in the next word, because he not only says, repent, or, but seek first the kingdom of, of God and his righteousness. Well, that word righteousness, it, it, just, it means the state of being right, being who you were intended to be when you were created, in that right state. And he says, seek after God's righteousness. Now, Paul wrote about this in Romans 3. He said, we, we can't reach righteousness in and of ourselves. And so then in verse 22, he says that this righteousness instead that we cannot gain by ourselves. No one is righteous in and of themselves. No one can be who God intended them to be or right before God. No one can do this on their own. No one can be religious enough to earn their way up into God's favor. Instead, he says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, that word faith, pistuo, it's usually, it's translated Believe sometimes, trust sometimes. It means to depend, depend on God. That righteousness only comes when we fully depend on what Jesus did for us, his righteousness for us. And it comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's that word again, pistuo, to all who depend on him. And actually what Paul was doing, he was applying what was said back in Genesis chapter 3, in that same section, he talks about Abraham, how Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Well, that was actually quoted, a quotation of Genesis 3.15, that Abraham had that kind of dependence on God, which is where he got his righteousness from. So again, this verse isn't just about, as Christians, we should work to build the kingdom and give more money. That, that's how it's applied a lot. And there's great verses about that. But this scripture is about seeking after and knowing first and foremost the most important thing that could ever be in your world is are you in God's kingdom? Do you have that relationship with God where you've repented of your sin and you're depending wholly on Jesus as your king and your savior? That's what this verse is about. And it continues and it says, and these things, so the, the these things, that's the context. That's what he had just been talking about in verses 31 and 32, that all the things that we worry about in that day, just food and clothing, living day to day, we, we worry about a lot of stuff. We get, we, our minds go towards all kinds of stuff. But he says, these are the things that lost people or Gentiles seek after because that's their whole life. That's all they've got to live for. But when we come to realize the reality of eternity, 
In our condition with God, our need to be reconnected with God, he's our only life-giving source, that if we don't get that relationship squared away, when we die physically, we will be lost and separated from God forever, condemned. The greatest need we have is not what house are we going to buy or what kind of food are we going to have tonight or all the other things that we pour our minds into. The most important thing for us do we have that relationship with God? Am I in his kingdom? And am I following this king? He says, all these other things are going to be added to you if you get that squared away first. And, and the added to you part, I love that. It's just like, there's this bonus. Yeah, there's the bonus. Is I'll take care of the other stuff. First and foremost, you make sure you're in the kingdom because nothing else matters if that isn't taken care of first of all. That's Jesus's point. That our problem is we pour ourselves into such temporary things. And I get it because I do too. I, I got into flying airplanes a few years ago. It was right before COVID actually. And it was, it was a lifelong dream. I became a private pilot. And, and I'm a little embarrassed as to how I became obsessed with it. Started reading everything about it. And any of my, I used to call it a healthy distraction. And then I started to realize I'm afraid that this may have turned into an obsession instead. I can easily do that as well. Or another silly example. We need a new dryer in the Ziegler home. So if you've got one, you know, just hanging around that you don't need. <laughs> this last summer, this last summer, I know we can just buy one, but I, I spent too much time researching. <laughs> last summer, Linda and I were upstairs and we just heard this horrible screeching. I thought a crow had gotten loose in her basement or something. was trying to get out. I was going, rah, rah. And... I went down there, and, and it's the dryer squeaking like this. So I did what every red-blooded man will do. I got my computer out and YouTubed how to fix a squeaking dryer. <laughs> Learned how to take the whole thing apart and found out just exactly which, which place was squeaking, and I oiled it and put the whole thing back together and turned the dryer on. I walked upstairs with my chest out. Well, my dear Linda, your man just fixed the dryer. A couple weeks later, we were up there fixing dinner, and guess what? The <laughs> crow was back. So I did it again, only this time I took the whole thing apart. I'm, gonna, I'm going to grease everything in this dryer, and I did. And it worked again until the next day. This time it only lasted 24 hours. Now the problem is I'm doing, you know, I, 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 I'm stupid this way, but I wind up... I was like, we got to get the best dryer. I wanted this dryer to outlast me. I don't think anything that we make anymore outlasts us. But doing all this research, we've done, done the shopping, want to get the best price and everything. In the meantime, Linda's doing wash and hanging the stuff up in the basement. Been too humid down there so it doesn't dry. And so then she takes it out. Not really supposed to have a clothesline in our neighborhood. So she's got like a little clothes rack and hung, hang the stuff up behind the hot tub so the neighbors don't see it. Wind keeps coming along, knocking it over, so we have to do the whole thing, wash it again. And then the worst part, I'm, I'm doing, fixing some lights or something in the bushes the other day, and I found a pair of underwear in the bushes <laughs> from the wind blowing, and we still don't have a dryer. I mean, and all the mental energy and the time that I have spent looking into, how stupid is that, a dryer for our clothes? We put a lot of time and in, in mental energy into things like our cars. What car am I going to buy? Am I going to have? 
or what am I going to do about getting this fixed? Is it worth more or just junking it and getting another one or houses and making sure we get just the right house in the right neighborhood or when you have to do some renovation, what should we do about our kitchen or is it worth it for us to redo our bathroom or how much time and energy is put into online Amazon shopping? All this time you put into these things and none of that stuff is going to last. None of it's going to matter, not that long from now. But one thing, and this was Jesus' repeated message, one thing is really important. Matthew 19, 44, and his whole grouping of stories that Jesus told, he said this, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Why did he do that? And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field because that's how important that treasure was to him. Jesus' point was the kingdom of God is like this. It is so valuable, it's worth you giving up everything in order to get that. And then he, he says essentially the same thing in, a, in the very next passage where he tells another story. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. This one pearl was of such high value that he was willing to get rid of everything else in order to get just that one. And Jesus' whole point here is that being in God's kingdom, truly having a genuine, authentic relationship with God that is repenting, getting rid of all of that other stuff that you think is valuable but will not be, in your mind, repenting of all of that, instead turning totally to him, is of supreme value. In another 50 to 100 years, none of us will even question this. But I think what Christians tend to see in Matthew 6.33 is a charge to live your life, building the kingdom of God and giving to the church's mission and volunteering for Christian causes and all of those things are good and, and there are scriptures that talk about those things and we should be doing those things but this passage is talking about the supreme value of knowing that you're in. That's Jesus' message here. Know that you're in because nothing else compares in value. When you think about it, the amount of time, again, that we spend on everything else, how much time have we really spent in seeking after and making sure we understand the gospel, we've grabbed a hold of it, and we are following Jesus supremely? In context, Jesus is saying that the world pours themselves into things that, of course, the world is going to pour themselves into because it's all they have. Worries about whatever and no matter how good we try to make this life, without spiritual deliverance, we're all going to be in a mess. And there's nothing else that's going to pay off. You can pour yourself into sports. I tried that in high school. Man, I, man, it's all I want. I ate, drank, and slept what a, you know, playing sports. And, and Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, bodily exercise profits little. Your health and fitness, it, it, it matters a little. But he says a little. But godliness is profitable to all things. Or your career, the money you're trying to set aside. Remember, Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world? If you reach the pinnacle of your career and you've got enough money set aside for retirement that you'll be at ease for 30 years. 
What good is it if you've lost your own soul? I mean, this was Jesus' constant message. Instead of pouring ourselves into things that we think matter right now, but he says, will not matter another 30 or 40 years from now. This is what we're to pour ourselves into. Now, when I, man, when I was, uh, I, I get this. I, as a kid, I grew up in a really messy situation. Home was a mess. My parents were split up, filed divorce, get back together, split up again, filed divorce, get back together. It was just a constant thing in my household. And, and because of a lot of that, I, I don't know, it, it led to, by the time I was in middle school, high school, I, I would now look back and say that I struggled with adolescent depression. I wouldn't have called it then, and none of my friends would have thought that. I mean, I, I could be, I was a class clown. I'd go to the parties and did everything I could to try to have fun, but I, I was absolutely miserable. By the time I was in high school, I was sent off to a boarding school, and it was a religious boarding school. I, I had religion. My parents took us to church, though they were radically different people at home than at church. They sent me to a parochial school in grade school, and then the the boarding school I went to was a religious school, and yet I didn't see anything of value. I mean, we had, our, we had our religion class, and we heard about religious stuff, but that's the only time that stuff was ever talked about. I never saw anybody actually pray. In fact, I remember the pastor, when it was time for him to pray, I'd, I'd look up, and he'd page through a book and then read it. There's no talking to God. I had no clue what that. Even, the only prayers I knew were the memorized prayers, and some of them scared me. Like, now I lay me down to sleep. If I should die before I wake, that part of it. And I think that might have been what led to, I, in high school, I was, I was so afraid of death. So afraid of death. I couldn't sleep at night. Now, I, at the same time, I didn't want to be alive. Now, it was a tough place to be in. I, and I tried all kinds of things. I, as I mentioned, I tried sports. I tried pouring myself into sports. I was never, never any good. I, I was always so little and not very skilled, but I, I, I worked so hard that by the time I was a senior, I actually lettered in three sports, but that didn't provide any fulfillment. No satisfaction there. Friends, man, I tried to, tried to really make it with friends. I tried the party scene. I'm off at this religious boarding school. Every weekend, there was a party. I learned to smoke pot there. A lot of drunkenness. There was sex going on all over the place. My roommate had a whole, whole bin full of pornography. And this was a religious place. To me, the religion stuff, it was just empty. I, I, it's not like I rejected it. I just didn't think about it. Like, I never saw it producing anything. And then on the inside, I'm just miserable. My favorite band was Kansas. Some of you are old enough to remember Kansas. And even those of you that aren't old enough to remember Kansas, you probably remember the song Dust in the Wind. It's still in some commercials. And Carrie Livgreen, who wrote all of their music, was on this spiritual journey himself trying to figure out things. And he wrote about that in his music. Dust in the Wind was all about that. And he's singing, all we are is dust in the wind. Nothing matters. There's nothing of significance. Nothing that we could do that matters. And that's how I felt. I can remember at one point in January of my junior year of high school at this boarding school, I, I left the dorm, went across the street where there's a park. Snow was this high. It was in Minnesota. Trudged through the snow. I just, just got away from everybody. And I was just absolutely miserable. I, 
and I was angry. And I, I didn't pray. I didn't know how to pray. But I, I lifted up my hands and I just yelled. I just yelled at God. There was nobody around to hear me, so I just yelled, God, why did you make me? I wish I had never been born. And in my mind, that, that was the only answer. If I'd never been born in the first place, I wouldn't have to worry about this miserable existence, wouldn't have to be afraid of death, and wouldn't have to go through this miserable life. But here I am now. Why did you do that, God? And even though I wasn't asking God for anything, God hears the cry of our hearts. And it wasn't long after that I received a phone call that transpired to, I, I wish I could tell the whole story, but time-wise I can't, but Eventually, it brought me into this church, a lot like this church, where for the first time, I heard the gospel. In fact, still to this day, I can remember everything that that pastor said. And I, I sat there, and during, in the message, during one portion of the message, he goes, if you were to die today, do you know if you were to go to heaven? And I thought... You, you got to be arrogant to say that you know. Nobody could know that. You find that out after you die. Nobody can say that you know that. And he, and he said, did you know that God wants you to know? I said, yeah, I'm thinking, says you. And then he said, everybody look at, and all these people had Bibles. I didn't, but he, look at 1 John chapter 5, and he read this verse that says, that, if, that says, I write these things to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He said, did you see that? I thought, I can't believe it says that. So I grabbed the bulletin, had a pen, and I wrote down that verse. Now, I had never read the Bible, but this guy is quoting from it and saying that's what it says. I wanted to check it out. It says, these things I read into you that you may know that you have eternal life. And he said again, you see, God wants you to know. Do you know? And I'm thinking, how? And then he goes, let me show you. In Romans chapter 10, he had everybody turn over to Romans chapter 10. He went through verses 9 through 13 that says that, that if you will confess that Jesus is Lord, and he said, now in our sin, we say, I'm Lord, I'm in charge. But when we say Jesus is Lord, that's repentance. That's saying, no, he's in charge. That if you will confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that word believe is that word pistuo, trust, depend on, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he said, did you see that? And then he went down to verse 13. He says, look here in verse 13. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So in the context of repenting of your sin, believing that Jesus died for you and rose again from the dead, if you'll simply ask him to save you, he says he will save you and you can know that you're saved today. Now, I'm still really skeptical. I wrote that passage down as well. Then he asked everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. I was 17. I was super rebellious. I liked the guy. I thought he was funny. I thought he was a good teacher, but I didn't want him to know that. So when he asked for us to bow our heads and close our eyes, I just looked at him. In fact, I folded my arms like this. Yeah, make me. I knew he wouldn't. So after a while, you know, he'd say, please, every head bow and every eye close. I still wouldn't. Then he just started ignoring me. He went through this. He asked people, if you're at the place now, some of you are ready to say yes to God. I, I want to follow Jesus. And uh, if that'd be your case, I wouldn't love to pray for you. Would you raise your hand? And I'm seeing around the room, there's 
people, a lot of people raised their hand. He got to some people. Then he said this. He said, I can tell that God is working in some of your hearts, but you're just a little sheepish yet to put your hand in the air. And maybe you're not quite ready yet, but you're willing to say, I will look into these things further. Instead of raising your hand, would you just look up at me? I'm like... (laughs) But when he did that... It did get to me. I have my head down. I'm thinking, why not? Because if what he is saying is true, it's the most important thing in the world. What else could compare? We're talking about eternity in heaven. So I actually looked back up at him and I put my hand in the air. And all I was saying is, I'm going to look into these things further. And I meant it. I don't remember anything from the rest of the service. I don't remember anything from the rest of that weekend or that week. I do remember going back to my dorm and when my roommates weren't around, I'd pull my confirmation Bible off the shelf that I had never read before and I looked up all those verses and they all said exactly what he said they said. Now, I hadn't made any commitments yet and my life in some ways got worse. I got into... I got into some trouble, actually trouble with the law. And I just started praying like crazy. God, if you can get me out of this, I promise you. When I go back home this summer, I will go to that church. I'll go to the youth group. That's what I thought God wanted. So I did. And over and over and over, June of that summer, I heard the pastor, I heard the youth pastor, I had kids in the youth group saying to me, Ziegler, have you gotten saved yet? And I bet you a hundred times, That summer, I prayed, God, if I'm not saved yet, please save me. You know, if I'm not, please, 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 please. And at one point, my prayer changed just a little bit. Instead of saying, please, 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 I said, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus for me. Thank you for forgiving me. And at that point, everything in my world changed. I went from this kid that was so miserable I couldn't fall asleep at night to the joy in me. I, I, and, and I know it doesn't happen this way for everybody, but for me, this was this dramatic change. The joy in me could not be explained. This was the happiest time in my life. And on the outside, things were worse. I got kicked out of my house. I was homeless. My sister and I lived in a motel room that summer and it was the happiest I had ever been because Jesus had changed my life. And he wants to do the same for you. Are you seeking after the kingdom of God and his righteousness? The bonus, all these things will be added unto you if you do. But first and foremost, are you seeking after the kingdom of God? I must to bow our heads, just pray for a moment. Father, I thank you so much for speaking to us this morning and these words from Jesus. These are powerful words. And I'm sure that there's many here, I mean, A lot of us, church has been a compartment in our life. 
It's just been something that we have in it along with all of the other stuff. But as far as being in your kingdom, there's some here that maybe have been spent a lot of time in church or maybe this is their first time, but have never actually come to that place where they've said, God, you are my king. I'm entering into your kingdom. And more important than anything else to me is following you. In fact, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, that's something you can settle right now. If you just reach out to him, starting with repentance, allowing your mind to be changed, saying something like, God, I know I've gone after a lot of stuff. And I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. I've ignored you. But I do believe that Jesus died for me. Just tell him that. I believe. I trust him. Jesus died for me. And I believe he rose again from the dead. I want you to be my king. I'm entering your kingdom. With everything that is in me, I want to follow you. I know I'm going to mess up, but with everything that is in me, I want to follow you. Please forgive me. Please save me. And Father, I want to thank you for how your spirit has worked in hearts right here. And I know he has. I know there are some here who just now, and maybe they've prayed something like this before, but this just now, having been unsure of all of this, for the first time, they've really made that commitment to following you. I pray that you'd help them to take the next steps and help them to grow. In fact, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I, if God spoke to you through this in such a way that you just now prayed, as I was leading you in prayer, you just now prayed, and you were sincere about it, and I want you to lift your hand or anything if, if you're not this, this isn't the real thing but you just now prayed and you told God you're entering into his kingdom you are settling this matter would you let me know I mean it's healthy to tell somebody else would would you let me know just by lifting your hand up in the air high enough so I can see it I see those hands God bless you and you and you number of hands around the room Right, number of hands. I see those on my left or my right as well. I see those hands too. It's awesome. Our God, again, thank you for speaking. I <laughs> think about the man, the transformation, the eternal transformation that is taking place or has just now taken place. It's incredible. And we're so grateful for that. I pray that you'd now help all of us to continue to pursue after you and to grow in that relationship. In Jesus' name, amen.
Yeah, I want to say this just real briefly. Next week, I know you've got a big baptism weekend, and that's such a big deal. At our man camp, our, our church has a church up in Wisconsin. I think I mentioned uh, the woods and we, man camp a couple of weeks ago. We had L. Unzer Jr., two-time Indy um, 500 winner, was there, and he gave an incredible story about his life transformation. But he said this. He said, coming out of the waters of baptism, which is just recently, a, a couple of years ago, he's only been a believer for a short time. He said, coming out of the waters of baptism, it felt better than when I won the Indy 500. I'm, I'm telling you, following Jesus and doing as he says, it's incredible. So if you are a genuine follower of Jesus, maybe you just prayed this morning to actually enter into his kingdom to receive him. That's your next step. Get baptized. So I encourage you to sign up and do that.